Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Schewing. Uh, this week on the podcast, I am joined by brothers Nate and Thomas Crick of Identical Draw. And really, this was uh, a conversation that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, not that I don't enjoy all of them, but to hear kind of the story of, of Nate and Thomas and how they landed or, or ended up in the position that they're in now. You know, these guys knew from a, a very early age. You know how much they love hunting they love the outdoors you know getting started um with their dad and, and their family at hunting camp and then just how that kind of snowballed and um grew over the years until they got to the point where they could kind of break out on their own and, and do their own thing uh in terms of being able to to get out and you know started off in, in college for a few years um and from there uh saw kind of uh a path that they wanted to take um, in creating identical draw and putting out a lot of really cool content. Uh, they they take a really cool approach um, in terms of a lot of the content that they're producing and how they can, you know, differentiate themselves from other people in the outdoor space in terms of what they're producing and what they're putting out and and trying to look at things uh, through a different um, kind of lens and produce things a little bit differently. So you're not kind of getting the same old stuff that that we see from a lot of different people. Um, one of the really cool things I was excited to hear about um, uh, was this uh, this new platform that they, they just launched uh, about a week and a half ago called newhunter.org. And what it is, is it's um, basically a place where it allows um, mentor hunters or people who want to get into hunting who don't really know where to start, um, don't have anyone that they can necessarily lean on or pick the brain of, so what this does is it, it pairs new hunters with mentors uh, anywhere across the country to be able to get out and, and get that experience and, and start to gain that knowledge to make them more comfortable, more self-sufficient in the field, and really just to bring them into the fold of being hunters. Uh, it's, it's a really, really cool thing that they're doing. Um, You've heard me talk on past episodes how I think mentorship is such this cool thing that seems to be um, at the forefront uh, of a lot of things in the outdoor space. And what Nate and Thomas are doing uh, is really kind of revolutionizing that in terms of, of giving this simple platform to be able um, to pair you know, new hunters and, and mentors uh, all in one place. Uh, if you guys haven't already, uh, definitely be sure to check out newhunter.org. Um, and obviously, all the great work that these guys are doing with conservation, this really cool project that they did uh, last year called the Kansas 80 with a piece of property that they have down in Kansas and kind of the the whole process from obtaining the land, the, all the different habitat work that they're doing, trying to 
you know, increase um, you know, or better the deer population, uh, better the turkey population in that area. So it's really cool just to see all the different things that these guys are doing. And I just, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Episode 58, Nate and Thomas Crick. Enjoy, guys. Uh, but before we get into the episode, I want to take a minute to tell you about our partners over at Stone Glacier. And you've heard me talk in previous episodes about just all the kick-ass gear that Stone Glacier is offering, whether you need base layers, mid layers, outer layers. Obviously, uh, they've got packs uh, for any type of, of hunt that you're looking for, as well as uh, shelters. Uh, they make some really cool uh, accessories in terms of like bino harnesses. I started running that uh, late last season. Uh, the Skyline bino harness, it's awesome. It's very streamlined. It's very light. It's adjustable for any size glass uh, that you have. So you don't have to worry about getting uh, the right size depending upon um, the, the glass, the binos that you guys are using. Um, really simple, adjustable um, just all around awesome gear from top to bottom. Uh, if you haven't already, also be sure to download the Stone Glacier app, uh, whether you use uh, Apple or uh, Android. So the iTunes Store or Google Play, you guys can download that. Stay up to date with some really cool films uh, that Stone Glacier is dropping, not to mention uh, some wild game recipes that they've been doing. Uh, and just really stay up to date with all the latest releases, product launches, everything like that that Stone Glacier has coming out. So check them out, stoneglacier.com. All right, I'd like to welcome into the podcast today the founders of Identical Draw, Nathan and Thomas Crick. Guys, how are you today? Good, thanks for having us on, Marcus. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I know you guys got a lot of really cool stuff going on over there, so uh, I appreciate you guys being able to make some time today and uh, and get this in. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's kind of uh, a lot, obviously, that that I want to go over and I know you guys have a lot going on. So let's kind of start from the beginning here and, and walk me through and tell me about your guys' introduction to the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, this is Nate speaking by the way for all the listeners, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, we got started hunting pretty young when our, when our dad took us on the, basically the, the guys hunting trip every year, they would just do a hunt up in North Nebraska and, uh, it was just, uh, uncles, cousins, um, grandpa, things like that. So that was basically our introduction. And that was, I mean, we were second graders, something like that. So real, real young, yeah. just carrying around our guns in the field just for the heck of it, walking around. Uh, yeah. But after that, I mean, we went on those annual trips every once in a while. And then, um, I think when we really started to kind of get our own niche, it was, um, we went turkey hunting. Um, that was still with, with our dad and stuff. And then, I got into the archery side of things and bought my first bow. And that was kind of when we dove off the deep end into our own thing um, and kind of learning different types of hunting. Because um, my dad, growing up, he did not do any real – I mean, he did some turkey hunting, but he did no deer hunting, no big game, things like that. So um, when I got that bow, uh, it kind of opened up the whole world, of course, with everything um, for deer, um, archery, turkey, and all, all that. I mean, later we've done elk and – and antelope and mule deer and all that kind of stuff but yeah that's kind of how at least it started off and then as soon as we could drive as soon as we were, <laughs> we were taking off going yeah. on our own hunts literally when we, we we were 16 we hunted that spring by ourselves away from the parents kind of so we just dove into it yeah yeah the the family kind of hunting camp i guess if you will that seems to be I mean, it may have been a little young for you guys in terms of like a rite of passage at second grade, but I mean, that seems like mm -hmm. that that's kind of like a common thing, especially kind of, you know, here in the Midwest and as you creep out a little, well, shit, all over the place, really. I mean, that kind of seems like a very common theme is is dad brings brings the boys along for, for the weekend with the guys. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, you learn a whole lot of stuff there outside of just hunting too. I'm not going to lie. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just... A one annual trip. I mean, you look forward to it. We would just, I mean, it was our most favorite day out of the whole year. So, yeah. Yeah. So now you guys are in Nebraska there. So here in Michigan, and there's obviously a very, you know, rich tradition in hunting. Like for, for opening day of firearm season, we would have that day off school. Now, is it the same kind of way for you guys out there? Um. Well, I guess for opening day um, gun season, it's all on like weekends. Okay. But and for archery, I think it's it just depends. It's just yeah, first, it depends different so, every year. But yeah. yeah, no, we don't get any days off. Ah, uh, see, I think 
So, but usually, <laughs> usually, um, dad would get us out of school and stuff too. Yeah. So. And in Michigan here, I mean, there's so much, uh, like there's so many areas of Michigan that are like a more rural and you know, that's the kind of area that I grew up in. So my thought is, is they didn't want, you know, kids standing around a bus station, you know, in low light first, you know, people do dumb stuff, right? Oh. Especially, you know, when, when they have a gun in their hand and people, you know, not only do dumb stuff, they make mistakes. So yeah, that was always like this big deal, um, here in Michigan. And I know, I think there's some other States that kind of have the the same thing i mean ours always falls on november 15th so i mean that the day varies every year in terms of what day it lands so right 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 so now you guys were introduced at a really young age and then you know once you kind of got into your teens you kind of just took the bull by the horn and started doing things yourself now was there ever like a like a period of time in there where hunting kind of where you guys kind of took a break from hunting because whether it was you know school or, or sports or anything like that or have you guys been you know I guess like full bore yeah. ever since you got out on your own. I'd say um, we more so took a break from school and focused on. <laughs> um, no, we. Uh, I mean, we hunted. It was basically like we were in track um, and cross country. So during fall and in the spring, and I remember we'd leave like especially late spring. We'd be leaving uh, track practice at five p.m. And literally put our camo on, driving out there, and go straight turkey hunting in high mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. um, we had a little place just outside of our hometown that we could just kind of go maybe see some birds. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, and then getting into college, um, we both went, um, did two years at a, a local private college. Okay. Um, and then we were like, we had started Identical Draw, our freshman year of college, um, worked some internship thing in there. This is kind of getting into um, Identical Draw and how we started that. But um, we basically – worked it out with the school system that we were in college full time, but we didn't have a single class, um, in, in person. So like we basically like worked out some internship with, uh, Sean Lockdale at Heartland Bowhunter, um, with the HB TV show. Um, and we did some other, like, um, they were actually more like advanced level classes because like we were some of the only entrepreneurs, uh, that were younger, um, than like junior in college. But, after that, like we just saw the momentum swing so much that we decided to take put the pause on school, and we just did the two years. We we haven't resumed yet, but we're planning on it eventually. Hopefully, so you guys were kind of doing the whole virtual learning thing before it was uh, a thing. The last year and a half or two years yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah, mm -hmm. man, COVID would be perfect if uh, <laughs> it was hit in 2016. Yeah. So now, did you guys always know that you kind of wanted to end up in the position that you're in? Or was that something that, you know, the more you got into hunting and the more you got into the outdoors that it just kind of evolved naturally? Or was, you know, from the time, let's say you were 16, 17 years old, you know, you said, okay, this, this is the end goal, right? This is what we want to shoot for. Yeah. That, I would say it's the end goals kind of shifted. Like when we first got started, it was out, like, we want to be an outdoor TV. Like that was, that was the hope and dream. Um, it, I would say it's shifted from that now and kind of the path we're going down now, just like full on content creation and then, um, taking new hunters out is, I mean, just basically we couldn't draw it up any better way than that. So mm -hmm. is that what you Yeah. I mean, we were, um, growing up, uh, we did, like didn't get the outdoor channel growing up. Like we spent like all of our time outside cause my parents, I mean, they truly thought TV is a waste of time and still do. And I think, I mean, I think that's what made us like love the outdoor so much. But when we would get a hold of outdoor channel, like whether it's at a cousin's house or something, yeah. we would just be glued, absolutely <laughs> glued. I remember like seeing some of those first shows, and then um, that's how we came across Harlan Bowhunter. And they we went to their film school in 2016, um, and that's kind of when our whole camera side of things played into it. We were like, oh, we should just carry this around, carry it along just for fun. Um, and as soon as we actually started like putting like some business plans and thought into it is when like the more business yeah. side of things took off and we actually started filming stuff and doing photography more like as a job. Yeah. So. We, I mean, we, we would just go to the Shields and buy like every Primo's uh, three hours, three hour video they had because <laughs> we didn't have outdoor TV. So it was like, mm -hmm. let's get this Primo's video, binge watch <laughs> yeah. it and yeah. binge watch it again. Yeah. So 
So were you guys doing any, I mean, prior to going to uh, that class, were you guys doing any like self-filming or anything like that? Or was it, you know, once you went to that class, it kind of, you know, just opened your eyes and we're like, okay, let, let's try this. Let's, let's go down this path. Yeah. The class, the class was the main eye-opening thing. Um, we'd done like some like iPhone videos just for the heck of it. A yeah. few like turkey hunts here and there, and um, which was awesome. I mean, we loved watching that stuff back and we're like, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we went to that, we went to that film school literally knowing nothing. And honestly, what was funny about it is still to this day, we talk about like a lot of that was like way over our heads. I mean, we knew nothing. And when they were talking about their editing stuff and photography and stuff, we were like, not sure. But the thing we got out of it was just connection city. So, yeah. I mean, it was just like with no one. I mean, the outdoor industry is tiny. It really um, is. I feel like, you know, yeah, a handful of people can really get you a long ways. And Sean and Mike, I mean, they've really been mentors to us, just helping us in the industry. And um, that's, yeah, that basically catapulted us into buying some gear and going from there. Yeah. We had a camera. We had a, a DSLR that my parents had. Oh, what was that? Two. A Nikon? Some nice, some really crappy Nikon, but <laughs> I mean, we found out after that film school that I could shoot video, so that's what we used that first fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, is um, oh shoot, I just had a question on the tip of my tongue here, and I lost it. Um, so, so kind of transitioning into that, um, you know, you guys go out after that, you use that the camera that you had for that first fall. And then what was that process like, you know, really learning the photography side of it and like the videographer, videography side of it? I mean, how, how much of a learning curve was that for you guys? Because I know that a lot of people uh, in this kind of day and age with social media and the Internet and all that, like everyone's trying to post, you know, a ton of content and, and everything like that. So it's, it's become a lot more popular, especially self-filming. So what did that, that learning curve look like for you guys? Oh, man. I mean, that first fall, we basically talked about it was just like a scratch. I mean, we didn't, I don't know if we posted anything. I don't think we posted a single video from that first fall. We were basically just messing around with the camera and just learning. Um, and it, that next spring, we actually bought our first Canon. And as soon as we made that um, purchase, it was like the we could really suck at it, but the gear was good enough where we could actually like make something work. And then as like we just messed around with it more, it was just like this evolution of like figuring things out better and just becoming... I mean, better photographers and videographers. But no, I mean, we didn't take any schooling. I mean, we watched, we were really into like YouTube, like with some vlogs and things like that. Yeah. We don't, we, uh, we, of course, we watch outdoor YouTube content, but we get all of our filming and editing things from outside the outdoor industry because everybody's basically doing the same thing in the outdoor space where we go out to like, we actually watch different films and we watch um, just different content producers that have nothing to do with hunting just because. I feel like they have a little different view, and I think it's really refreshing. Every to see yeah, that. every little different space you get into, like has their own like, um, I don't know, niche and kind niche of look. And like yeah, niche and look. So like we, I mean, I'm into woodworking, so I watch a bunch of woodworking uh, content, and I see oh, like that's a theme that I see in this kind of content. Or Casey um, Neistat, huge huge blog, YouTube yeah, blogger who just has this really interesting style. And they're not they don't have a product, but they're just vlogging their day to day stuff. But they have a have a way about it. They have got a good workflow. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. kind of where we've gone for our yeah. video creativity. Yeah, and then we've I mean we've edited all of our stuff on like Adobe products, Premiere Pro, Lightroom, and that that again is all self taught. We just we we throw we throw content up there and just mess around with it until we find a product. Right. And I don't uh, know. yeah, I mean there's a learning curve with that stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember just shaking my head like the first couple of weeks, like how am I supposed to. I, I, I can figure out how to drag and drop this on the timeline, but then what, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. No, that's a really good way to look at it with looking outside of the outdoor space in terms of like techniques and kind of ways to go about filming because yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, probably 98% of, you know, hunting shows or hunting content out there are all kind of put together in the, in, in the same general way, right? Like, and that's likely because people are looking at other outdoor content and then kind of modeling what they're doing after that, right? And it's just a trickle down effect and everyone keeps using it. So to go outside and, and think outside the box like that, that's really cool and it gives, it just gives things kind of a different perspective like you guys said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so kind of, as we've kind of went through college or went through the early years into college now, you guys got your cameras, you're, you're starting to do some video. Well, one more question, actually. Well, it's a two-part question. So the first question is, are you guys hunting together almost exclusively or are you guys just doing a lot of self-filming or like one's filming the other? Or how does that work? Yeah, like 
ID is just us two, identical yeah. draw. So um, it's one of us is behind the camera, one of us is in front. We have some buddies that join us every once in a while, but um, this is the thing that's kind of changed it up is like this whole new hunter thing, because we will each like take take a new hunter, so we'll split up. And so at that point, it's kind of like a self-film slash film the new hunter. Yeah. Um, but 90% of what you're seeing is just us two. Yeah. Okay. So my follow-up question to that, or my second part, is how many animals have you missed out on harvesting because the other one was monkeying around with the camera or making too much movement or something like that? You know, not, you know, not too many. Like, I feel like the camera has definitely claimed a couple animals. But, I mean, really, like... I don't know. I like having two guys. I mean, two guys in the stand, yeah, it's more movement, but it's also double, double the eyes. True. Very and true. so I feel like, um, I don't know, you just have different angles in the tree. Like I remember for, for his buck on the Kansas City, um, that one that we, we put on our YouTube, um, episode five of season one, I think, um, I spotted that deer when it was like at 10 yards and Tom had no idea and I got his attention kind of thing. And I think it's, we've done that multiple times. So yeah, it's more movement and we're definitely, we are like, we are hard on each other big time in the tree stand or spot stocking. It's either you need to slow the crap down or you need to stop moving or, I mean, constant. Um, but Which is nice. We, like, it's, there's no awkwardness between us. Like, yeah. We'll just yell at each other, hey, like, you need to, you need yeah. to slow the heck down. As far as duos that film, like, film each other, I'd say we our communication is pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's more movement. But the cameras, yeah, they're, they're always an extra thing. And you got to lug around a whole lot more gear. It takes yeah. forever to hang hang tree arms and the tree stand and just, yeah, everything, I mean, spotting, but just slows down. We've, we've figured it out. The first yeah. like two years was definitely like a learning curve for just that alone, just like set up and take down and not right. being, spotted. but we figured it and out, out enough the last few years that it's not too bad. No, that's good. That's good. All right. So now tell me about identical draw. So where the idea came from, uh, what exactly it is and what all it entails. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, kind of back to like what, a little bit what we've mentioned, we technically give the start of identical draw the summer of 2016, um, after that HV film school. So we filmed all of that next fall. Um, and then we were still in college at this point. We were freshmen. I was actually, I, I did one semester at the university of Kansas, uh, in Lawrence KU. Um, so we were apart. We'd come, we'd just, I'd basically be home, um, for a weekend wouldn't, wouldn't see, uh, my girlfriend, I would, uh, see the deer stand. Um, it worked out though. We're married now. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, but then after that, we actually won a, uh, yeah, that was that year, right? That was, it was a Business. sophomore year of college when we won that. Okay. So, so whatever year, what was that? So then what? 2018. Yeah. So spring, so, so fall or sorry, spring of 2017, then that's when we actually formed identical draw. Um, and then, the fall of 2017 is when we actually filmed our first season. We like officially, um, we didn't know where that content was going to go. Um, YouTube was kind of just like hunting content on YouTube, I guess was just kind of starting out. Um, and we actually had carbon TV reach out to us, um, after that fall, which was kind of like a saving grace. We were like, not sure where this content's going to go. Like we'd watched a lot of outdoor content and carbon TV. So getting that little, uh, having them reach out was like perfect. Okay, this is where season one of Identical Draw is gonna go, um, and so that was that was the fall that we didn't have any in-person classes, and we did the internship with with Sean, um, and one of our classes was a uh, for the spring of 2018 was a like a I think it was like a senior level entrepreneurship class, and um, so we we were in that together, and we actually won a. Uh, business pitch contest uh, that the school puts on. Um, they actually have a lot of cool opportunities because they have uh, sister classes um, in different um, uh, like countries. Um, one of which is Estonia, um, the tiny country right next that butts up to Russia. Um, so we want a business pitch contest to go to Estonia um, for two weeks, and it's actually like, it's just a huge entrepreneurship hub. And like um, when like the business pitch contest, it was like basically like a Shark Tank. Okay. For like for different entrepreneurial yeah. companies. So you had ninety seconds to to prove your business. Yep. Yep. Talk about why it's going to be successful. Um, so having a hunting company do that in uh, 
Estonia did not pan out. <laughs> like that, the fact that we were killing animals over there. Um, they weren't non-hunters over there. They're anti, like for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. uh, but it helped us like really kind of get a grip for what we were doing and like have like a voice because, man, when you're surrounded by everybody that hates it, like you really like have to be able to explain yourself really well. Right. And so I came back to the U.S. and I mean. Yeah, it, I think it really helped us out in the long run, but it was really difficult during. I mean, like, I remember showing like one of our intros that we were really proud of, and everybody's like, "I don't know what that was." Like, that was terrible. Like, I I don't need to see that again. And I was like, "This is like the thing we just had to keep reminding ourselves, like, hey, this isn't our audience. This isn't our audience. Let's just like get through this." And helped us just get tough skin, though, mm-hmm. um, which is what you need if you're gonna run your own business. But mm-hmm. um, that was super awesome thing we had um, in between that. Um, I mean, do you want to kind of take on after 2018? Yeah, I mean, we still, yeah, doing school and, I mean, we'd still hustle with the classroom, but also just do an idea on the side. Um, but then it was basically, we, we had, I remember we were reaching out to a few companies to possibly work with them and we had a few different ones reach out. And that's kind of like what got us in the industry. We, I actually met with a, um, with a buddy at, uh, Cabela's, um, and he hooked us up with, uh, Bear Archery. And I remember Bear Archery was like our probably like our first really big sponsor that we got on. Yeah, I remember them being like, "We're gonna send you some bows." And like, as archery guys, we we're like, "Wow, like <laughs> bows for free! Like, holy crap!" But I mean, kind of after that, we just like that, that was our last semester. Yeah, uh, in in college was mm-hmm. was that spring of 2018 when we yeah. went on that uh, business uh, pitch contest. So mm-hmm. yeah, and after that, I mean, as soon as we got in, in with them, we just realized kind of like a niche of hey. Um, we're going to make really high quality stuff, um, both photo and video content. Um, try to do it as best as we possibly can and like be the best content that this company receives. Um, and then after that, we've honestly just been really blessed and lucky to, to land a few other companies and be working with a, a bunch of great names. Now, I mean, we do just so people can know, like we do, we do work with like Vortex, um, Bear Archery, Onyx, First Light, a bunch, I mean, Traeger. We're going to be bringing on Steel. Um, we haven't really, I know we haven't really released that, but we're going to be working to deal a little bit with some land management stuff. Um, so yeah, we've been really lucky just to be uh, be able to do this whole content production and work with some really awesome companies. So, yeah. so now, how exactly does that work? Like with the with the content creation and things like that. So are you guys like <clears throat> helping like other people? I mean, aside from obviously the the content that you're creating for for ID, there are you guys helping like other small businesses or other large businesses create content then as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like when, like say a partnership with like with First Light or Vortex, like yeah, we're gonna produce content like for us with their gear, but also for them. Okay. Like we're, gonna, we're giving, we'll, like a lot of them, like we'll give you X number of pictures and video a month, kind of things like that, whatever their their needs are. They, okay. Like I just try to have, I think the number one thing if anybody's wanting to get into the outdoor industry, like you just need to have conversations as much as you can with with companies you're working for and make exactly what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of something we've really focused yeah. on. So. Okay. Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you there, but now you, you just kind of mentioned like some, like, uh, work, you know, working with steel that you guys have, that you have coming up that you haven't really announced yet. Um, so yeah, you're hearing it here first, I I suppose, or or maybe second, depending on when you guys announce it. But, um, in the land management side, I think that kind of takes me to the next part that I want to talk about. And that's the series that you guys did called the Kansas 80. So kind of walk me through that and tell me, you know, how that all came about, you know, what the, the initial goal was and maybe how that goal has shifted like since spending some time on the farm down there yeah so Kansas City is um a farm we purchased uh when I say we I mean my father um uh so um, 80 acres and- so we get comments every once in a while like man you guys are pretty young to be on land it's like yeah I mean our names on like deed and stuff it's like yeah we didn't fork out the cash. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's all right. Honesty um, is best policy. Yeah. So, yeah. eighty acres northeast Kansas. Uh, we'd actually been looking for land for like two or three years just, leading up. Yeah. Almost purchased a couple other tracks, but um, so by this point, like we just knew what we wanted. Uh, we had really good relationships with different land agents. Um, so we walked this property and just knew, um, and we lucked out to be able to land it before, I mean, land prices and housing and everything skyrocketed, um, just a year and a half later. But, um, the whole property, the whole reason for it is just, um, I mean, it's kind of twofold. Like we just wanted a legacy of, um, having a piece of property for 
our families and generations to come. Um, that's probably the number one reason. Um, and number two is just it, we love the process of land managing and um, hunting deer. Um, we easily spend more time managing the ground like during the off season than we probably do uh, hunting it during the season. Um, we just like we're in love with the whitetail process, I guess you could say. So how the Kansas City Land Series came about is um, basically, honestly, we there wasn't like compared to today, there was not near as much land management content as there is today. It's uh, been like a a really hot topic the last uh, year and a half, two yeah. years. So um, there wasn't like we came up with this idea, hey, we need like we've got 80 acres. Let's um, basically document um, phase one to like the end. Um, and we knew that we knew it needed some diversity because it's just it's 80 acres of timber basically. Okay. There's like a handful of acres along the western side that is more open and stuff. Some of our food plots and things like that, but it's mainly just thick timber. So we knew it needed a little more diversity. Definitely needed some sunlight. But our, our biggest thing with helping that was we had people from um, well, Cutie maybe now Deer Association um, come down and kind of did a walkthrough with us. Which that's that's an episode on our YouTube Kansas City Lancers. I think it's episode three of season one or something. And they just basically, I mean, gave us a ton of good intel of like, hey, these are some things that you guys should like really consider thinking about. Um, this is what I think your deer density is. Um, this is the timber you have on here. This is good timber for deer, bad timber for deer. This is some food that would be good to keep and try to work on in the area. And then, like, basically after that, that's when our management just, like, light bulbed because we were like, wow, let's just make this as best as we can. And like we said, with it being majority timber, it's, include, it's included a steel chainsaw and a lot of cutting because <laughs> we just need more sunlight on the property big time. Yeah. It was funny. We, uh... <clears throat> Like when we first thought of this Kansas City Land Series, um, we reached out to Mark Kenyon. It was like, hey, we've got this idea about doing a land series. Are, like, are you interested in coming out? He's like, love the idea. We're actually we're actually going to do something similar called the Back Forty. So it was really <laughs> funny. We had like this same exact idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been awesome that land management has just like really taken light lately. Mm -hmm. um, we just wanted to show the whole process because I think sometimes hunting it does get a bad rap with all the grip and grins. It's like, yeah. people don't see what goes into that. Right. So we just wanted to make this whole thing where like, there's going to be four episodes on management and how we kill a deer. And then there's going to be one where hopefully we kill a deer. Like you <laughs> got to see the ratio of how much work we're putting in. Um, so yeah, we show January and February consists of a lot of cutting, a lot of timber. And then you get into February, Shed March, hunting, April, you get into that shed hunting. And then you swing and do some like food plots, um, finalizing like timber structure, but also, tree stands and trail cameras and just the whole nine yards of everything we're doing until the last episode. Hopefully you put those pieces together and kill a deer. In the last years, we've been lucky enough to do that. Um, but yeah, we just kind of wanted to show more of the full process because I think, I think some, like a lot of times, a lot of outdoor content just like it's kill based. And so I think people really would love to see more of the point A to point B. So. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And it's funny that you guys said that you had reached out to Mark Kenning there because when you first was, were kind of explaining to me, I was like, man, it sounds – and I, you know, I'm familiar with both your series and the Back 40 series. So I was like, man, it sounds an awful lot like, like what they did with – you know, what Meat Eater did with yeah. the Back 40 and stuff like that. So, no, that's, that's really cool, especially – that people are putting, like you said, an emphasis on kind of the lead up process and everything that goes into it, the land management side, because yeah, for, I mean, every, you know, it seems like hunting show out there for the most part is like, you know, it's condensed down into a half hour. So you've got, you know, walking to the tree, you've got, you know, whatever dialogue you may have in the tree, maybe a little bit of backstory about a certain, a certain deer that you're after or anything like that. And then the kill shot, the grip and grin, you know, everyone, you know, shaking hands and, and high-fiving and whatnot afterwards. But you're absolutely right. There's there's so much more. There's just this huge story. And then when you only get kind of the kill shot, it's like, you know, reading the last chapter, right? And, yeah. and that's it. And trying to, you know, and wondering, you know, well, gosh, how did they get from point A, you know, to point D, you know, what happened to B and C and everything in between? So, no, I, I do appreciate, you know, people putting an emphasis on that and kind of seeing a trend of like land management. And, you know, I don't know if it's just, kind of a, a newer generation, a younger generation of hunters that are coming in and wanting to, you know, really highlight all of that stuff. Or if it's, you know, the social media side of things and, you know, just being able to put more content out there and still keep, you know, your viewers and whatnot engaged in, in the content that you guys are putting out. 
yeah, yeah, I think it's combination, and everybody just wants to kill bigger deer every year. So, yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah, I would. Say, we were looking. Our family was looking for property. Um, me as a selfish hunter, I was like, I'm going to look in states that have really good deer hunting. <laughs> and I mean, we live in Nebraska, and you can you can find some big big deer in Nebraska. Don't get me wrong, but. Um, living in the southeast portion, I'm like, I'm going to go over to Iowa every once in a while. I'm going to go down to Kansas every once in a while just to look at some different properties. And we just got lucky with that piece in, in Kansas. I mean, yeah, last year we had um, a 200-plus inch or at least probably 210, 215-inch deer walking around. And, I mean, yeah, that's that's not management. That deer's. I mean, hopefully some of the things we've done have, have helped that deer. But, I mean, that's not a lot of it's where where you're hunting and stuff like that and i'm i'm really excited to see the next 5 10 15 20 years just hopefully washer management actually like unfold and, and yeah, help the population this, things like this that this being like year 3 um fawns that were born that spring um are starting to age up a little bit 2 3 year old so um in a couple more years i mean we're going to have mature mature bucks that were fawns when we got the property and they only know the property is how we've had it, um, which is a bit different than when we first bought it. So, yeah, it'll be. I'm just. I love seeing it evolve. It's been awesome. Yeah. So, like anyone who knows about property management, especially. I mean, really. I mean, I guess the bigger the property, obviously, the bigger the the scope of work and whatnot. But with 80 acres, I man, it's a good chunk of land. What is kind of the the duration of the plan that you guys have kind of laid out uh, in terms of when you feel like okay, we're we're like 95% there, right? And that last 5%, maybe it'll never get done just because things are, are always changing, you know, maybe the crops around you or, or whatever the case is. I mean, there's some circumstances that are just, you know, out of your control. So what does that kind of timeline look like for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we ever have like an end goal. Yeah. I feel like every year it's just going to be like this process of continual change. But man, when we first got it, the first big thing that we had never done is, is do food plots and like create food plots. This food source I can just pop out of nowhere. But I mean, I don't know, like the biggest things of course with that 80, I mean, that's been hard for us at least to hunt it would be when we first bought it, it was just like a huge giant chunk, chunk of timber that was all the same. And so what we've really tried to do is just diversify with, Hey, this is like a really specific bedding area right here. We're going to cut down a whole heck of a lot of trees, which is going to get that sunlight a lot more like basically I mean, leafy and planting material on the ground instead of like it being, if it's super shady, you just kind of have these short little like shade loving species when you really want the sun loving ones. And I don't know, that's, that's been the biggest thing. But as far as like a timeline, man, it's like, who knows, yeah. who knows what we're going to need, need in 10 years. I think right now, like our, our five year vision is like, let's continue to really make certain spots specific. And we've kind of talked about it, but we, we split our 80 acres into six different management units. Okay. And, so we manage it per unit of what that unit needs. Are we are we hunting this unit? Um, do we need to figure out how to access this unit, or is this just like a sanctuary where, hey, yeah, in the winter we're going to knock down a bunch of timber, add some really good base structure, add some sunlight where a deer would really like to bed here, but we're not going to touch it any other time of the year. So we kind of just go per unit of what tasks need to be done, and it's kind of just like an annual check-in yeah. of what we do. And during the hunting season, we've got notes going all the time, like this needs to happen. I have I have a note from october 27th on my phone that's just haunting me ever since like hunt all day <laughs> like things like that because october 27th last two years has been absolute bonkers but for some reason we just haven't been able to work it around but we have like management things on there too it's like hey we really need better bedding in this spot because we're getting winded where we shouldn't be getting winded and that's been a huge part of it it's yeah deer can bed anywhere we don't have a specific little honey hole where they're gonna bed right i don't know it's it makes kinda, yeah it difficult it's kind of hard to see right now but i would say we Maybe, I mean, we'll see what you say, but I would say we're about 40%. Our land looks 40% like it will in five to 10 years. Like, and I'd say it started at 20%, and we're just like, we add five to 10% in the right direction each off season. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes goals change. And yeah. I mean, how many stands do we have? We have five different stand opportunities on the 80 acres five, right now. Five to seven. Yeah. And one thing, like when, when Spencer Newharth from Meat Eater, he hunted with us. This last December, um, which is an episode on our YouTube channel, but he, he was like, how many stands, like 15, 20 years down the road, how many stands are you going to have on this ground? <laughs> and I was like, I answered it with like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we're always kind of being like the six to eight, six to 10 range, like just a, a few really good ones. I mean, 80 acres, that's, that's quite a few stands, but he was like, oh man, I think you're going to have 
15 to 20. Like, I was going to, like, cover this place with it. And it's, like, interesting because it makes me think, like, man, how, what will it look like in 10, 15, 20 years? Um, and just a constant evolution, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you guys make some some really good points in there, and for you know the the listeners that are, you know, diehard or, or avid whitetail hunters, I'm sure that you know they've kind of went through this process likely to some degree. And I mean, how much I would say like about land management did you guys really know prior to embarking on this, or was it kind of you know learn as you go, or you know talk to kind of professionals that that deal with land management and then kind of piece it together and apply it to what you guys had. Yeah, so we we didn't know much at all. We knew we had a basic idea of what deer wanted, um, and we basically learned a ton since. Like having uh, Matt, we had so we had two guys from um, now uh, Deer Association, um, Matt Ross, and then Alex Foster. I don't think Alex is with with them anymore, but um, they they really like gave us a really solid base. Um, we walked. We did uh, what Matt calls like ground truthing. Like we, uh, he first looked at like satellite footage of the land, and then we walked it, and he saw all the tree species, um, and basically helped us identify like right away. We we like we still like the first year we were looking back at that video like, okay, yep, this is walnut, this is oak. We've got four or five different species of oak on our ground. We've got um, honey locust, ash, um, hedge, like all these different trees that we've slowly. Like we can identify all like basically every tree on 80 um, now, but that's just been a slow process. It's taking a picture of the leaf or the bark um, during um, dormant season and um, looking it up. Like, what is this? This is a hackberry. Like, yeah, all it's been a slow process. We've had we have plant apps that honestly actually help quite a bit. Um, that we will just take the photo of of uh, whatever it is and just learn one or two at a time. Yeah. I mean, people are like, I just don't know how you learn. It's like, every time you go out, nail one. Like, seriously, like, learn it. Don't ever, like, get it to a point where you'll never forget it. Just embed it in your brain. Just one or two every single time. Just just know what what you're sitting. Maybe just take a photo of the bark, and after you're done hunting, you look it up. Um, And, yeah, it's it's a slow process, I I would say, Mm -hmm. has been for us. So Yeah, a good way for that is, is always just learning the tree that you're putting your stand in. Right. I mean, it's one that yeah. it's easy to identify. You don't have to think back like, oh, where was this tree at on the on the property or, you know, what was surrounding it? You know, which one did I actually look at? Because, you know, sometimes you take a picture of bark and you're like, oh, it looks like this. But it also really looks like this one, you know, right here, too. So, yeah, for sure. That's that's a good way is just kind of I mean, the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. You feel like more. Like, yeah. You feel like more like almost like a better hunter, like when you can when you know like what tree you're sitting in, like it just feels good. Like, um, like you're one step closer to knowing the white tailed deer a little better. And I mean, you never know when it's going to come in handy. We, uh, work part time for a moving company and this guy really wanted to know what tree was in his backyard. It was just like basically created like a wall in his backyard. And I took like one look at the leaf and you got a black locust back there. Um, is that, well, I, I think it was a black locust. Um, and it was just funny. Like you don't know when you're going to, yeah, be able to identify it yeah, we like named some of our tree stand locations like off of it. Like, oh, that's the Baroque set, and that that's the Southeast Walnut set. So it's like things like that. If you don't think you're gonna remember it, just make it your stand name. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We have we have stand names, but yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Anyone who's who's hunting, especially like a piece of of private ground, that anyone who has more than one stand, yeah, they've, they oh. there's a name for every single stand. It's not like yeah. oh, I'm just gonna hunt this one that's in this on the first field on this. Side. Yeah, no, no, no. Everyone's got a name for their stands, man. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So kind of. Going one step further now and taking kind of a deeper dive, you guys have a really new, exciting project that you guys, uh, this will launch, this will air in about a week and a half, but it'll launch before that. Um, so it, it has to deal with mentoring and hunting. So take me through that. Tell me all about that. So uh, we'll back it up a little ways, but um, last spring, Thompson and I, we were really trying to figure out what we're going to do different this year. And um, I don't know, we... we We've talked about it before, but we went to an ATA social summit um, at ATA, whatever year that was, 2019. Yeah, because it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. No, no, it was 2020. Yeah, it was 2020, right? Yeah, before chaos ensued. Um, and basically, it was a bunch of guys in a room figuring out um, how to be a little, I don't know, just how to reach like non hunters better, how it can be better on social media, um, just like new hunters, things like that, mentoring. And um, we went out of that conversation. 
and months went by and just nothing was coming out of it basically i mean a few people like had like some different initiatives and things but just like just like okay we're gonna have the same conversation next year like see you guys then um but thomas and i were like okay what can we actually tangibly do we're like we just need to dive in to mentorship and taking out new hunters and it's something we've done for a long time with family and friends and um but we were like, we should really just invest fully into the new hunter this year. So last spring, we in summer, we made an announcement. And, of course, we had awesome companies working with us. We had First Light, Vortex, Onyx. They all announced that we were going to be taking people on a whole def- bunch of different hunts. And we ended up taking, like, 11 um, new hunters out last fall. We did. We started out with a antelope archery hunt. Then we went to uh, Sand Hills mule deer hunt both of them public land. And then we did um, an elk hunt, public land over the counter. And we did uh, whitetail hunts on private ground um, to wrap up the season. Four of those, yeah. Yeah, a bunch of those. And it was the best thing we have ever done. 100%, hands down, best thing we've ever done. We met awesome individuals, friends. We text basically all those people like pretty frequently. Um, we stayed up to date with them all in the fall. But, man, we had just incredible times with these people. And, just seeing them, the spark ignite in them, being like understanding why people really do love it, um, showing them the food side, showing the respect of the animal. That's something we just we hammer home super hard. Um, it's like, hey, if you're gonna step out in the field with a weapon and kill an animal, you need to like understand that 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 is serious. Something you need to do, yeah, like as well as you possibly can. And I don't know, just showing these people the ropes was absolutely incredible. Um, and so that kind of pushed up into this whole announcement of um, dropping basically a new website this summer, which you can kind yeah. of take on. Um, but if listeners are wanting to, like, we have a lot of those episodes on our YouTube channel if mm-hmm. you want to kind of see us mm-hmm. um, with some new hunters. And we have a podcast, too, that also kind of we, – we had podcasts with these new hunters because you didn't always get that the vibe in the episode. We wanted to, we wanted them to be able to speak their mind and really talk about how what their experience was like. So – um, that's why we decided to podcast. We also, I forgot to mention, we, we took out a few different new hunters of spring turkey hunt as well. Yep. So we kind of continued to roll, but yeah, this basically launching a new website that we're really excited for people yeah. to learn about. Um, it is called newhunter.org and by, yeah, by the time this podcast is live, the site will be up. Um, it is a simple platform, um, no charge, uh, free platform to use. You just have to sign or sign up basically, become a member of the website and you get to unlock what we call the mentor portal. Um, we have mentors in a ton of states. Um, we still need more mentors. There's a lot of states that aren't full. Um, but with um, meeting tons of new hunters ourselves, and that so that first summer we had probably, we probably whittled down 350 new hunters that applied for our new hunter program that fall, and we, had, we only could take 11. Um, so we met a lot of new hunters through that. Um, but we just like saw this overarching thing that is really intimidating and tough to talk and find a mentor. Um, like people just don't know where to start. Even I'm intimidated going up to other hunters sometimes. Like it just, they're a tough group of people to say, Hey to, and Hey, can you take me out? Can you show me your spots? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) that's so hard. Um, but really it takes just, you need generosity, like mentors. I think the biggest thing you need is just generosity to be able to do that kind of thing. Yeah, so we so we basically try to simplify the mentor finding process. Um, so once you log in, um, you'll go you go into the mentor portal, and um, there you see all fifty states. And like I said, some of them don't have mentors yet, but a lot of them do. And you can basically scroll down to your state, see somebody available, and you can either reach out to them to go hunt, or you can simply hit them up with state. Uh, state questions that they can answer mm-hmm. better than like if you were to email me or Nate about mm-hmm. uh, state question um, in Texas or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every hunter, every mentor on there has like a picture so you can see what they look like. They have um, they have a bio about themselves. Yeah, a lot of them have like their Instagram or Facebook, so you can look them yeah. up, um, Re- reach out to them there. Yeah, this, I've gotten on the phone yeah. with every single mentor. Like we're not looking just to get, I mean, eventually I hope that we could get hundreds of mentors on this site so that people can really like find somebody close to them. Um, but really, I mean, it's been, uh, just a slow process of finding the right people because you can be an incredible hunter and a really bad mentor. I think that's something that people see. I mean, it takes a lot of the same skills, but also a whole different set of skills to be a great mentor. So I've been on the phone with every single, every single person, making sure that they're right fit for it. And I'm going to continue to do that. 
um, all yeah. until this website is done. But it's like I don't know. It's just something we're not. We're like just looking for those high quality individuals that will care about the new hunter. Yeah. Yeah. No. First off, I think this is such an awesome idea, and I think it's exactly what uh, the hunting industry needs is more mentors, right? Because I feel like there's probably so many people out there that, you know, I don't want to say non hunters or, well, maybe they're just, they're just indifferent on hunting in general. Um, but maybe they've always had a bit of a curiosity or maybe they had, you know, a grandfather who hunted when they were young, he passed away and now there's no one to kind of lean on or, or ask those questions to. And, um, Nate, I think it was you that said it, like it can be, yes, yeah, super intimidating to, Try to like ask, you know, someone who's like a seasoned hunter, you know, even just like simple questions, right? Like, and maybe it's like the male ego getting in the way, right? Like you don't want to feel stupid, right? Like asking dumb questions, but it, there, there needs to be more people. And the fact that you guys are trying to essentially have, you know, at least one mentor in all 50 states so that someone can, can talk to, um, and, and develop, develop a relationship with. I mean, I just think that's, that's awesome. I mean, how did you guys come up with that idea? Uh, in between my two years, there you go. <laughs> Not Tom. I like to say that all the time. No, it was just like we just wanted to do something like generous to give yeah. back because like yeah. we we think about man, what would we do without hunting in our lives? I mean, probably nothing good. So it's like it's just been such a good blessing in our lives and something yeah. that we've just cherished so much and learned so many. I mean, met so many new friends and things like that. And man, when we get texts, either like hey, like I, sh- I took my son out for the first time this weekend and he shot his first deer. I mean, and just like the new hunters we took out going back home and showing their family and showing their friends. We have, I mean, we just got a text from one of the new hunters, good buddy Dylan. This, I think this last week, like, Hey, I'm taking out somebody on a, on their first hunt this fall. So I'm like, we just hope that it's a small thing that just like grows and grows and grows and grows. Yeah. I don't we, know. We, like, um, just kind of the reason they call every single mentors. We like, we really feel like our, the new hunters that joined us uh, last fall, they just really enjoyed themselves. they, literally didn't matter if they uh, were successful or not which we had i mean we had like 30 percent success rate um overall with the fall which was which was outstanding yeah um but we had every single every single one every single hunter go back out um hunting later in the season for themselves which was just awesome to see they didn't just like come with us once and, and hang it up they can continue to pursue for pursue it for themselves so that was just um super awesome to see i guess um kind of with your other question marcus is we saw different platforms um, trying to do a similar thing as as kind of what what we have here, but we just wanted it to be so simple um, to be able to find somebody to hunt with. So hey, and we've straight up like we've been told like we're behind, like we don't you don't have enough money to run something like this. You don't have enough resources. It's like okay, like I don't really care. All I want is like hey, if we can have one new hunter reach out to one mentor on our site and get one more person in there. Site, the site has been created for its meaning, like in purpose. Yeah. That's what we care about. I mean, we're not looking to like huge have this huge giant change, but if we can get a handful of mentors with a handful of new hunters to go shooting, just to like ask them some questions or actually like go out in the field, that's a huge win for us. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right because you know with that five or the the ten, you know maybe new hunters that come on board. I mean, there's going to be inherent there's going to be this trickle down effect right it's good you know maybe it spills to two more people and then those two people it spills to you know five more people or whatever the case is i mean there's just no way of really knowing you know how far it's going to reach by just like like you said you know maybe just one person does it right maybe you just have one good really interaction with a new hunter and a mentor but you know maybe that that new hunter maybe he tells his buddy and he gets a hold of that mentor right and then it just i mean there's just such a potential to spread like wildfire Right. Yeah. That this uh, through this website is also how we're gonna have um, new hunters apply to hunt with us again this fall. Um, we've got a couple awesome hunts planned out. Um, so if there's new hunters listening to this, um, like me and Nate, like we're on there just as every other mentor is uh, on the website. So if you want to hunt out, hunt with us, and um, yeah, we're always looking for more mentors. If, if you're listening, like hey, I'd, I'd love to give some time um, to helping somebody out, man, just hit us up because we will we will make it work. Um, we, we want to find awesome mentors and get them connected. So, yeah, the great thing, uh, along with that point is uh, a lot of our partners have stepped up and they're offering our mentors like awesome discounts. Um, first light on X and vortex are all giving them like discounts, like better than what you're getting for father's day sales at these places. So, um, they're 
I mean, it's awesome that they're in such support of, of this whole new hunter mentorship thing as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you had mentioned was like, it was, it was a way for you guys to kind of give back to the outdoors, to give back to, to the, the, the sport of hunting, you know, after you guys have been able to get so much from it, which kind of leads me to like the next part. And obviously the reason we're able to to sit down and talk today, and that's 2% for conservation. So you guys recently became 2% certified. So how was it that you guys first learned about 2%? Um, man, I think we just saw other companies getting Mm -hmm. certified Mm -hmm. and we were like, why not? Like, this seems like an awesome program. We like just two, two 2%'s got some awesome, awesome companies that are certified through them. And we just wanted to keep that trend. We also noticed that, uh, there was no 2% certified company in Nebraska and we wanted to end, end that trend. So I think the first time I saw it was good old Dan Johnson when he got certified. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Dan was, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really how this whole podcast got started was when Dan joined the board of directors for 2%. Um, at the time I had recently, or just prior to that, I had launched my company, uh, the average conservationist. And I had reached out to him about, you know, being like a partner sponsor on his podcast to try to help get my name out there. And then, so like I sat down and did an episode with him and just kind of gave my backstory and what the company's all about and whatnot. And then we got done recording and he was like, hey, have you ever thought about having a podcast on conservation? And, you know, quite frankly, I was like, no, you know, like it's just it's not like this really cool topic that a lot of people want to talk about or listen to or, or anything like that. And, you know, shortly after that, he was like, hey, you know, I just joined the board on 2%. Like, what if you guys did like, a, you know, kind of did a partnership on the podcast and you guys and then that's when Jared stepped in with 2% and started talking about, well, we can get, you know, businesses that are on there that are 2% certified individuals, committee members, things like that. And yeah. yeah, it's been just like this snowball effect and seeing, you know, just in, you know, we've been doing the podcast for a little over a year now and just the amount of companies that have come on board to 2% in that time frame. I mean, Jared told me um, a few weeks ago that even during 2020, when everything was a shit show, that they doubled the number of businesses that, be, that, were, that were certified from the year before. Yeah, that's awesome. That's huge. And I think, I mean, just on that new hunter topic with that, it's like, that was one thing we hit home and everybody helped as a new hunter. It's like, when you buy that tag, when you purchase that permit, you are given back into that whole conservation realm of things. It's like getting that understanding. You hear the conservation word a lot, but really having a tangible understanding of what it is. And then you throw the food side into there. It's like, why not be a hunter? I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just great. Get back to the outdoors, get back to the wildlife that everybody loves. Heck, I mean, the United States, everybody's leaving cities right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no like joke that everybody loves the outdoors and wide open spaces. I mean, we got to protect them as much as possible right now. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's awesome. Yeah. So what are some of the organizations that you guys are giving back to? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, we've done stuff, of course, with NDA, with the Deer Association, yeah. um, working them in. They're actually worked into our website as well. There's like an NDA tab. Um, tab. Um, that one's big. Um, let me do some digging. We give, uh, there's a, a local, locally, we do a lot of support for our NWTF banquet. Um, so we've done, um, like, uh, we've gifted like filmed hunts. Um, we, bow have, we do bow giveaways. Um, hundred like percent of the proceeds go back to the, uh, NWTF. Um, so we've done different, we've done some stuff in Kansas with that too. So, um, yeah, we, a lot of NWTF and, uh, we also partner with the Mule Deer Foundation, so um, we do some work with MDF and stuff like that. So, and then just our big big part of it is just the time that we spend with new hunters and getting them outdoors is kind of our time conservation piece. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, and and that's the thing is, and that's what's beautiful about two percent, right? Is there's so many different forms and fashion in terms of how you guys can give back, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a cleanup, right? And that always seems to be kind of the the easy one to point to um, when it comes to giving back. But, you know, that that mentoring thing is is such a, a critical piece. And it's one that I'm, I'm certainly starting to see more of um, in over like the last, let's say, year. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, the, the regular, the avid hunters, they just have more time or they've kind of reached this point in their, you know, hunting career, so to speak, that, you know, they've, they've, maybe they feel like they've accomplished a lot or they just have a much better understanding of, of hunting, you know, whether it's mule deer, whether it's elk, whitetail, turkey, whatever the case is, that they're to a point where they can say, all right, you know, like I feel comfortable out here, 
you know, whether I, I harvest an animal or I don't, I'm cool with that. Like it's, it's all about, you know, the chase and, and everything that leads up to it. Like we talked about earlier. Now let me see if I can pass on, you know, that experience, that knowledge to someone who's, who's willing to learn and who, who wants to learn, quite frankly. I, I bet if we took a poll on all the mentors we've talked to you, I, I would go to say that people enjoy seeing other people's success more than their own. Yeah. So I think sometimes mentorship just gets like a bad, boring rap. But I don't know why. That trend needs to change. I mean, like, especially for us and, I mean, a ton of mentors that we've talked to, it's like I love seeing people get success more than my own. Like, and I, so, I mean, if you're if you're somebody that's pondered it, man, it never hurts to try if anybody's listening. Just like if it's something you've considered and thought about and be comfortable with doing, I totally recommend, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, another thing like with the conservation side of things is not only like the mentoring that you guys are doing, but even the work on your own property. I mean, that's, that's conservation, that habitat management, you know, improving the, you know, your local deer herd there. I mean, this is that all is, it plays into the, the, the big picture of conservation because, you know, now maybe you have deer that were outside of your kind of general area there in Kansas that are, have maybe moved into your property that now, you know, it's it's making the population just kind of not just on your 80 acres, but, you know, the surrounding areas healthier as well. Maybe it's it's better food. It's more consistent food. It's, you know, it's better bedding. It's, you know, ways to get away from predation and things like that. So, I mean, there's there's so many different elements of ways that people can kind of give back uh, with their time or with their money. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, we've been really working on the turkey population down on our 80 acres just because in the area it. it it's a low population. Um, we always have like a really good spring out there, but like compared to where we hunt in Nebraska, um, it, the turkey populations. So, um, we like on the habitat management improvement side of things, like we've been really focused on, um, making awesome, like nesting habitat and, and just trying to kill some predators. Like our coon, our raccoon population is absolutely insane. Um, so yeah. No, that's, that's good. And, and not just, you're, you know, you're using the property for not just, I mean, while you bought it, you know, likely primarily for, for whitetail hunting, you guys are trying to take into account all the different species that could habitat or that could, yeah, that could live there uh, and everything like that. So no, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I like to kind of wrap things up with and ask people is, and your guys is, I'm, I'm kind of excited about your answer here is, you know, what do you guys have in store for the rest of 2021? You know, what hunts are you looking forward to? What mentor hunts are you guys looking forward to? You know, tell me about that. Yeah, so let me think. I was kind of go through the fall a little bit, but um, well, last year we yeah. last year we uh, we each only killed a doe. Like and we, we had, I killed a white-tailed doe and antelope. You killed, oh, yeah, you uh, killed antelope too. I just killed a white-tailed doe. So like um, we spent, I mean, we spent, man, I, I think it was like 65, 70 days in the fall. Um, so we, we've claimed this year, the year of the mule deer, we both want to shoot a big giant mule deer bucks, even though we've got that, our Kansas property that of course we want to, um, we've got some good, good up and coming bucks, but I'll let you kind of, yeah. So I mean, we've got, um, we're going to be going out to timber elk hunt, um, just an over the counter unit. And the reason we're, we, we thought about can, can in that hunt. We, last year we, I mean, we, we hunted for 10 days straight. I didn't see an elk till like day nine. Oh, wow. Um, I saw like literally a ton of dudes. And so it was just a thing like, man, it's 10 days really far from the family. And it's like, if it, I want to feel like I'm hunting instead of just like going on like a nature walk. And I understand like a lot of that is hunting. Like I understand 10 day grind for hunting. I mean, I'll do that any day, but I just want it to be like, also, I mean, just, just worth the time and away from family. So that one, we were actually on the can, but we just thought, man, we just need to restructure. So instead of hunting it during the rut, we're going to hunt early season, just try to hit those bulls, hit the wallows, spend time all day hunts there, basically. Um, we're going to do that. We're going to do some Nebraska mule deer. Um, we're going to do South Dakota. Um, South Dakota mule deer. We're going to, which we've done, we've done both those hunts before, but they're just awesome big deer um, that from we found in public. Um, and then just a bunch of stuff, Kansas 80 from end of October to a good way through November. Um, and we have, um, several new hunter hunts that people are going to apply for with us at our new hunter.org, um, just reach out to us there, but we're going to be doing a lot of Nebraska whitetail hunts early season, middle of the season. Um, and then we'll also be doing, uh, it hasn't been released yet, but it's going to be a Western hunt. 
for new hunters and possibly like a pretty good unit. Um, we haven't we haven't launched that. That is something that can be down the chains that people will be able to the new hunters will be able to um, apply for and, and get get on board with that too. So um, then late season, of course. If we haven't filled Kansas tags, we're going to be, uh, you're going to find me on our food plot with hopefully some trying to kill a big buck. So yep. that's, that's a basic gist. We've, we have considered, um, an Arizona over the counter tag. Okay. Um, that's kind of been maybe a, a new hunt idea. So what, am I, did I missing anything? No, we, that's we haven't, I mean, we're too young to have drawn any, we're too young and poor to have drawn any, uh, good tags yet or to pay an outfitter. So we're a lot of OTC. Mm -hmm. so yeah hey nothing wrong with that whatever whatever gets you out there man absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well hey real quick before i let you go um for any listeners that may not already follow you where can guys find you on social media your youtube channel all that good stuff our two main platforms are instagram uh at identical draw and then um youtube just uh type in identical draw you'll see us subscribe um, you'll see a can save land series there, uh, there. You'll see all of our new hunter hunts. We do uh, different product reviews, but yeah, those are our two main things. Check out the new website, uh, newhunter.org. So mm-hmm. personal accounts in Hunter K on Instagram at in Hunter K and then Thomas dot Crick or something. Yep. Um, but yeah, you'll be able to see all these announcements and everything that's going on with us for falling at identical draw. So yep. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Well, hey, guys, I really appreciate you making some time today. I'm excited to definitely check out the uh, the new website there and uh, possibly get into some mentoring myself. I, I love what you guys are doing, man, and keep up the great work. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us on, Marcus. Yeah, we appreciate it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see ya. All right. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, a big thank you to Nate and Thomas again for taking some time to join me today. Uh, I would like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier and Go Hunt, as well as Wild Rivers Coffee Company as well as 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you'll enjoy those conservation-focused posts in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you.